Okay, well, again, today is July 3rd, 2022, not 2002, like I said last year. We have not changed 20 years since last Sunday. Um, Traditionally, we would hear a message on the topic of freedom, independence, or justice. Uh, Every time I do a a holiday or a seasonal um, sermon, I'll have you know, I go back and look at what I preached the last couple years in my files just to make sure I don't repeat myself. If there's something fresh or new, we can say. So uh, that's kind of where I start. But what I actually started with was just the beginning and just kept working my way through the Bible. And this is where I kind of put my thumb and said, no, there's something here. Because normally we would we might recount wars and the biblical tie ins to their call to arms. We might talk about the Constitution and the Bill of Rights Um, identifying where scripture agrees and disagrees with some of these very American policies. However, today I want to talk about beacons. I want to talk about beacons. Symbolic in the way that they represent more than what you can see. And they're also practical. They're practical in a way that they assist you in your daily life. And so on this July the 3rd, 2022, three beacons come to my mind. Lighthouses, steeples, and flags. Lighthouses tell people where the shore is. Also illuminating their path should they come that way. They can help one gain their bearings, but better na- uh, to better navigate the waters that they're in. Lighthouses are functional and meaningful. In fact, we still have beautiful lighthouses. I discovered when we were planning a trip um, to the, the peninsula of Wisconsin that there's some beautiful historical lighthouses out that way. And that's also what came to my mind. When GPS, even today, lighthouses can still work. GPS is not working. Uh, The night sky is super cloudy and you can't use the stars to navigate. A lighthouse can guide you back to shore. You know someone is there. Manning the station, or at least the station has power. It represents hope in the dark and confusing situation that you find yourself in. Lighthouses. Let's move on to steeples. Steeples, specifically the kind that are topped with a cross, are beautiful addition to church architecture. They function in a similar fashion to a lighthouse. Uh, It represents not only what the building is for, of course, a place of worship to the one who died on said cross, but also a declaration of that building's inhabitants, their beliefs, what they trust and hope in. Most importantly, it stands as a place where people can draw toward when they are lost. I mean, go to any big city. I don't know if you've been to Chicago or been to New York, and you see these big architectural masterpieces that have been there for a long time, and you look up and you can see a steeple and a cross, and they're symbols of hope and safety when you're lost. I also think of the symbols for hospitals or even the Red Cross, And you think of those things of safety and help. They're practical waypoints for guidance. You know, turn left at the brick church. (laughs) And they serve as symbols of beliefs for those who find spiritual refuge 
beneath them. So lighthouses, steeples, and flags. Even today, even today, flags represent the bear's belief system, a way to signal to others what they're all about. I have one right here. I made sure I brought my prop today. Sometimes I forget and I have to make up one on the fly. This one I actually remembered. Uh, This is a Cubs pennant, a flag. Uh, This shows that uh, I am a Cubs fan. The Christian flag represents uh, certain things about Christian beliefs and agreement with those things, uh, unity in those things, the importance of the cross, the brotherhood of all believers, the salvation message. And the American flag stands for several things, shared origins, sacrifice, and unity. And I'll talk more in depth about that later on in this message. But you might be asking yourself a few things. Why are we talking about beacons? (laughs) These lighthouses, steeples, and flags, oh my. And why haven't we read the scripture yet, Pastor Matt? Let's get on with it. (laughs) Well, we will get to the scripture, and I hope it'll become very apparent. But there is a linchpin here. The problem with beacons, not burying the lead too much, the problem with beacons is that any one of them can become like the Tower of Babel. Any one of them, think about that as we read today, any one of them can become like the Tower of Babel. So, what do we need to do? We need to be aware. We need to be aware. So what's this Tower of Babel? Well, you can read all about it in Genesis chapter 11. And we'll start out verses 1 through 4. It says this. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. I find it interesting, we're pausing right there, I find it interesting that they would even say this. It's as if they knew the outcome was likely. Think about this though. The people here that we're reading about, they're descendants of Noah. These people's ancestors had lived through a mass extinction level event. And as they begin to grow in population and generations continue to live and build in a certain area and their technology advances too, that's really in here. As they begin to grow, there is a level of potential possible homesickness. The idea being, if we leave and spread out, move far away, how are we going to find our way home, so to speak? What will serve as a reminder or a beacon for us? Well, that's what I thought about, by the way, as I read the scripture. I thought about it in those terms. And everywhere they might go, they could be the people who built the big tower to heaven. That would be their name, the big tower people. All the distant relatives that they might come across, they could point back to their big accomplishment. They would point to that beacon. They might even make an annual pilgrimage to the beacon. 
The big tower, the big tower people, it's impressive. Nothing is too much for us, they think. We're the big tower people, right? Wrong. This was a big mistake. The big mistake of the people of Babel was worshiping their own greatness. Was worshiping their own greatness. The tower would represent and communicate that perceived greatness. It would beckon people back to the city of greatness. So what does God do? Well, something strange, that's for sure. Something strange happens in the next scripture. Something we don't read about much outside of this passage. Uh, Verses 5 through 7. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. God did what? He did what? He seemed concerned by these people. Because why? They were cooperating and speaking the same language? Why would this, why would this matter or concern God at all? What would that kind of unity, how would that kind of unity be a bad thing? Why would a miraculous intervention here be needed? needed? I'm serious. Do you know? Do you guys have any idea? No? Thank you for the nod, Kaylee. I appreciate that. Make me know you're awake. Great. Well, I, I scratch my head, and every time I go over this passage, I do go, Ooh, I'm glad I'm going to move on to chapter 12 because this is uncomfortable and I don't know what's going on here. But I had to stop and think since we're looking at this passage today. I had to stop and think. And this time I began thinking in the context of what came before this passage. That's always a great way to approach a passage of scripture. What happened before? What's the mindset of the people? What's the situation that they're in? So if we stop and think for a second, the last time the people of this world were so unified all going in the same way, we might even say mob mentality. The last time the world was so full of people who were so unified in in a purpose, what happened? God sent a flood and wiped them all out. There was intervention there. All but eight humans and a male and female of each kind of animal. And there's some miscellaneous birds in there, but we don't need to get into that today. In Noah's day, the people were unified in wickedness and violence. Noah was pretty much the only exception, all the, the only one that we know of, and God saved him and his family. The people were so unified in wick, wickedness and violence, God rem, relent, remor, was remorseful that he even created man. At the time of Babel, they were unified in construction of making their own name great. So wickedness and violence, they were getting ready to make their name great, to live for generations, to tell everyone they met, look what my people did. We're the big tower people. And so what does God do? He scatters them from that place and confuses all the people's languages. Even if they tried to tell somebody else about their own greatness, they wouldn't be understood. 
Even if they walked and walked and walked, they may never get back to Babel or what's left of it at that point. For the beacon, their greatness and their city was left unfinished. No real home for them to draw back to. I believe God displaced the people and confused their language in order to delay their unity regarding sinful desires, violence, war, and to top it all off, the big one we're talking about today, idolatry. So what's our solution? Oh, real early in the sermon to come up with a solution, but it's important. What's the solution? The solution is this. Worship not the beacon. Worship not the beacon. The beacon is only a tool to guide and communicate. Look to the one true God for guidance and worship him alone. Lighthouses are beautiful. That's my opinion anyway. You might not think so, but that's okay. I feel like they're beautiful. They also help fill out a nice themed bathroom. Have you ever been to somebody who's really all about themed rooms in their house? They may very well have a lighthouse themed bathroom, little statuettes of lighthouse scenes and wallpaper of lighthouses. Um, and, And you get the idea, the imagination journeys that those rooms send you on to distant shores, splashing of water, seagulls, and the spinning light that's at the top of that lighthouse. But wouldn't it be strange if we began to look at the lighthouse with adoration, affection, and worship? Maybe not the lighthouse itself, but patting ourselves on the back for creating such a beautiful and useful structure. Does it sound silly to you when I say that? Well, let's get a little closer to home. Steeples. The highest point on the roof of a church, possibly maybe even a bell tower with a steeple capped off with that cross. Steeples are iconic. In fact, if you looked at a map, usually the legend would have some sort of a cross if it's a Christian church, and it would, might even show you just a little icon of a, of a church structure. There's usually a cross, a steeple at the very top of it. Steeples are iconic. I will say that I was a little sad last year when we started to design a logo for our church, and I realized we didn't have a steeple or a cross up there. We have some other beautiful pieces of our architecture, but we didn't have that. That's okay. Some churches do. And a lot of times that's what physical building churches are known for. They're placed high in areas of great prominence on the outside of their worship facilities. We, we will find a cross or other religious figures as symbols all along the outside of, of facilities like that. But even this kind of beacon that, show, that identifies things like faith and safety, even this kind of beacon can easily become a point of contention, a point of contention, even among fellow believers. Um, fun little story for you. Um, before we left Oklahoma, a friend of ours gave us an entire DVD set of a particular TV show. That show is referred to, is known as Little House on the Prairie. So raise your hand if you've ever heard of that book, that movie, that TV show before. So I'm going to share something with you. Maybe you've seen this episode before. Um, but occasionally our family throughout the week maybe watches one or two episodes from, that, from those discs. And the show, of course, is in the settings of the 1800s and mainly located in Minnesota. 
Uh, it was originally broadcast between 1974 and 1983. The last episode ended right there in 1983. The lessons this show continues to teach, though, timeless. Timeless. A particular episode, known as The Voice of Tinker Jones, revealed something of church culture that still holds true today and has become fodder for so many sermons. Let me share a little summary of what happens in the story, and then we'll come back to it a little bit later. But After church one day, the members gathered around the schoolhouse that doubled also as the church building, if you remember that. The minister shared a vision of a beautiful bell that would hang from the highest point outside the church, beckoning believers all over the prairie to come to worship. On school days, it also can double as a school bell for the same reason for beckoning children to come to class, hopefully on time. And then the discussion began with an agreement. Oh, that sounds great, minister. Let's go ahead and do that. That's such such a great vision. And then it moved to the practical side. What can we afford? How can we afford this? The idea of taking up a collection and sharing in the purchase of a bell started to take hold. Perhaps settling for a bell that was good enough. There are a tiny little, uh, Walnut Grove was a tiny little area. Not everybody had means, but let's share, and it could just be good enough. It doesn't have to be top quality. Then the local shopkeeper's wife, who's usually the, the, the uh, Mrs. Olson, the one who causes a lot of grief on the show, um, she spoke up and pledged that their family would donate the total amount for a top-notch bell. Well, it sounded good to, a sev- to several in the group until she wanted a plaque with their name on it, a marker that identified their generosity. This obviously caused quite a stir. Feelings were hurt, names were called, sides were taken, and the church began to split. Only a, a, a few families came to service, and the minister was about to be recalled by his supervisors over this division. All people, all because a simple bell, a steeple, a beacon, something that had a practical use, guide people to church, something that was intended to communicate a message of hope, a message of love, and a message of unity, and it looked as if it was not going to fulfill any of those characteristics. We'll come back to the rest of this story later. We've got... We've gone through lighthouses, steeples, and yes, flags. Flags now, I want to share with you, they communicate practical information, but they also stand for the people who display them. And flags, even these two up here at the front of the sanctuary, they can be sources of great pride. Something to point to and say, wow, aren't we great? Aren't we great? And don't get me wrong. I'm not stating the United States of America or Christianity isn't awesome, because they are, all right? In fact, the United States of America wasn't such a great, uh, if the USA wasn't such a great and blessed nation, would people really be risking their lives to illegally enter the country? I think not. Would they really bother to go through all the red tape associated with becoming a naturalized U.S. citizen? No. USA is a great place to live. But as we learned last week, a little humility goes a long way and pride comes before a fall. 
Just to focus the topic, let's look at the United States of America's flag. The stars, of course, represent the 50 states. 50 stars on there, the 50 states. The last time that this flag was updated, it was 1960, just a year after Hawaii gained statehood. The 13 stripes remind us of our roots, the 13 original colonies. The colors stand for our values. This might be something that you do or don't know. I'm not really sure. I learned a little bit here. Blue stands for justice, vigilance, and perseverance. Just things that we value. White represents innocence and purity. And I would clarify purity of heart and conviction. Red, hardiness, valor, and of course the blood that has been shed to forge and preserve this union. It's all very symbolic, but it is also all about who? It's all about us. The history of the USA is embedded in our flag, but not one of the elements I just shared with you correlates directly to the Almighty. Sure, our money has the phrase, in God we trust, and that's nice. But our flag that stands for who we are and who we were is all about us. It's history. It's present day. When symbols are all about us, like the bell in the Little House on the Prairie story, when beacons become about our greatness and our accomplishments, we tend to worship the beacon and ourselves and not the one who made us. And that, in a nutshell, my friends, is idolatry. It's idolatry. It's the sin that keeps on sinning. The next time in Scripture that we hear about people making bricks, let's go back to to Babel. The next time in Scripture that we hear about brick making, it's when they're in slavery. (laughs) That technology caught up to them. The God of creation then intervenes, here it comes again, intervenes with signs and wonders, and he sets them free from their oppressors. And one day, they are out in the wilderness, and all of a sudden, their leader, who helps by God's hand lead them out of slavery, he takes off and goes to commune with God. Well, the people get bored, they get afraid, and they get insecure. And then they command the brother of the the leader, they command Aaron, their religious leader, to make a statue for them, something that would represent God so they could worship it and worship that thing as God. And so what does he do? He feels pressured. He goes ahead for it anyway. He collects all the gold riches that these people were blessed with, that God, actual God, blessed them with. Collects all this gold and he forges it into the shape, melts it down and forges it into the shape of a calf for them to worship. It was made by the hands of men, forged with the gold from the people. There was unity, unity in idolatry. If you know the rest of the chapter and you know it doesn't, you know it doesn't go so well for, for them when Moses gets back from communing with God. Moses was the only person who, in one fell swoop, broke all Ten Commandments because he threw them to the ground and they smashed. (laughs) 
But after he got really frustrated with the people and broke the Ten Commandments, picked him back up, and you can read the rest. Exodus 32, check it out this afternoon for the full story of what kind of punishment led from all of this idolatry. I'm kind of surprised Aaron survived, spoiler alert. The problem with beacons is that any one of them can become like the Tower of Babel, a flag, a lighthouse, and yes, even a steeple or with a bell tower. Our response is to become aware. No one just trips over into idolatry. Whoops. I guess I'm worshiping my own greatness. Whoops. (laughs) I'm obsessing about my looks or my money or my fame or the lack thereof. How does it happen? How does idolatry happen? One decision, one small decision at a time. The good news is that if we are aware, we can take steps to combat idolatry. Just as people can be unified in sinful behaviors and selfish pride, they can be unified in humility, generosity, and sacrifice. Those three words to me, pastoring this church, summarize what I understand and know about the history of this church. Humility, generosity, and sacrifice. I am blessed to be able to see it firsthand and not just hear about it in the history books. Let's get back to our regularly scheduled programming. In the episode, The Voice of Tinker Jones on Little House on the Prairie, Tinker Jones was a kind of friendly traveling craftsman. He had a forge to make molten metal objects. He would kindly bless the children of the community with metal toys and sell the adults pots and pans. Tinker Jones was also disabled. He was deaf and mute. He never spoke in the entire episode. He probably, didn't, he probably couldn't talk much sense to the people of Walnut Grove, even if, they had, even if he had the ability to do so. But much like the minister, Tinker Jones had a vision of a bell. But this bell would not reflect his own greatness, or that of any one individual. And so he began to melt down some of his supplies, his own supplies. He was then joined by all the children who had benefited from his kindness. <laughs> they started bringing back their metal toys that, uh, to him and tossed them into the collection bag to be melted down for this bell. The children then ran around town and uh, found some additional donations, shall we stay, say in air quotes, for the cause, uh, scavenging the, uh, the area for metal objects to melt. Even the most selfish children, the shopkeepers' child kids, the Olsen kids, gave their large collection, they probably bought through magazines, their large collection of metal toys for this project. All without the adults knowing what was going on, by the way. Eventually, the day came. There was going to be one last Sunday service in Walnut Grove. The minister was going to deliver his last message. He was being recalled. The church and the town were split. Hurt feelings ripped apart relationships and even affected businesses in the town. It looked like we'd have a very unhappy ending indeed. But on that day, everyone was beckoned to church 
by the clear, loud ding-dong, or however bells sound, I don't know. It was the voice of Tinker Jones. It called the people of Walnut Grove to unity in worshiping the greatness of God, not the greatness of the bell or who provided the bell. If asked where it came from, the deaf-mute man could only just but shrug and keep ringing the bell. How do we keep ourselves in check? How do we protect against making idols of beacons? Three words come to my mind, and as a minister, it's blessing when it all starts with the same letter because it just seems to flow. Awareness, action, and awe. Awareness. What attitudes, think this question to yourself, what attitudes, behaviors, decisions am I making that puts something or someone higher in my life than God? Awareness. Action. As you become aware of areas of idolatry, take steps to break them down. It will be specific to you. There's not like a game plan that we can all follow. But God can and will help you through this. Take action. And then last, a specific action that I I felt like just needed to be on itself, awe. Take the time to stand in awe of the greatness of our God. When you worship him just for the sake of who he is and not for what he can give you or has done for you, just that very simple He is so great. He is amazing. I can't even the words. (laughs) When you sit in awe of God, by comparison, sitting in awe of yourself seems silly, as it should. To conclude today's message, I want to play a song for you today uh, after I pray uh, a closing word uh, called The Greatness of Our God by a band called The Newsboys. And so uh, I just want to ask if you just listen to the words and uh, let the Lord speak to you during this song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the freedom that we have in you. And that freedom comes with the responsibility to be aware of our own leanings towards sinful behavior, our own leanings towards idolatry. And no, we're probably not sitting around worshiping little statuettes of lighthouses or something else. Maybe we are. Maybe some folks are. And they need to get rid of those household idols, if you will. But when it comes to things that represent who we are and what we are, they can become (coughs) idols in our life. Whether it be a flag, whether it be a building, a steeple, a bell, We need to lay them down before you, Lord, because they are not more important than you. You're on such a higher plane that we don't even compare those things to you, Lord. And so I pray that as we hear this song, the greatness of our God, we reflect in our hearts and minds and lives today of your greatness. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.